Well, good morning. What a joy to be here. Um, the service has been amazing. Um, I cry a lot sometimes, so just bear with me. Once I get going, I'll be all right. But the music kind of lifted us up to heaven. Amen. It's what it's designed to do. It's praise of our holy and wonderful God. And then to have the Lord's Supper right now brings us right back to remind us who we are and all that God did for us. And so as I've been reviewing my message and over and over, of course, I never tell anyone what I'm preaching. I, when my wife's with me, I never tell her what I'm preaching. But every song that we sang this morning just fit exactly into the message. And it thrills me knowing what I think I'm going to say and how the music has already prepared your heart. Um, I'm from Michigan. Don't hold that against me. I was just born there. <laughs> and I've, I've traveled a lot. I've been 20 years in the United States Navy, active duty, and been a missionary for 11 years in Italy, and uh, we've, we've built uh, orphanages in the Philippines and traveled to Israel uh, seven times now. Just got back a couple weeks ago. And I never cease to be amazed by you travel like yesterday, drive for hours and hours and get here. And, and you pull into a little town. The church building is right there in the center. And then to walk in and just feel the presence of God and to be with God's people. And I have found that everywhere I've gone in the world. It's an amazing thing. And sometimes because we're out there so often, so much, we start thinking all bad thoughts, negative thoughts. There's no hope. And then you come in to his local church. And then you realize we're still on the winning side. Amen. We can't lose sight of that. I want to speak to you. If you want, please turn to Psalm 138. Psalm 138. Thank you, Pastor, for having me here. It's a privilege to be here. I, I retired from full-time pastoring one week before COVID hit. So that was the Lord's timing. I retired, we had all these plans, and for two years we sat in the living room and looked at each other. <laughs> Fortunately, our marriage has gotten sweeter and sweeter over 52 years, and six children and 16 grandchildren, and so we actually, we had the time of our life for two years, and now we're back uh, doing some more traveling and doing some other things, but it is a, it's a joy to be here with you. You're holding your Bible. Think about your Bible. Think about the Word of God. This is the greatest book on earth, unparalleled it stands. Its author, God, its truth, divine, inspired in every word and line, though writ by human hands. This is the volume of the cross. Its saving truth is sure. It's doctrine pure, it's history true, it's gospel old but ever new, shall evermore endure. 
This is the solid rock of truth, which all attacks divide. Or every stormy blast of time, it towers with majesty sublime. It lives and never dies. And though the cover is worn and the pages are torn, in places bear traces of tears. Yet more precious than gold is this book worn and old that can shatter and scatter my fears. We have to remind ourselves over and over that all we can ever know about God is in this book. He's not giving us new revelations. If you wake up in the morning with a vision, look back to see what you had for dinner the night before. This is his revelation. This is what we know of God. This is what we can know of him. We can wake up and see a sunrise and say, God did that. But we can't know God until we know his book. And we can never let the book grow old. We need to have a daily Bible reading. Now that I'm retired, I can confess one of the most difficult things I had to do when I was full-time pastoring was maintain my own daily devotion. There's so much ministry, so many problems, so much to do. I told a number of young preachers, he'd call me and say, Brother Jerry, your pastor, I, I don't know what to do. I, I feel like every time I'm doing this, I feel like I should be doing that. And I said, well, get used to it. You'll always feel like you should be doing something else. If you're studying, you think you should be visiting. If you're visiting, you think you should be doing some family time. When you're doing family time, you feel guilty you're not at the church. It's this constant battle of trying to get a balance in our life. But no matter what our position, no matter what our place, no matter who you are or how busy you are, there must be a time that you stop and read the Word of God. What we read yesterday is not enough. We need to read it again today. And you need to have a system. I, I, I could not care less what the system is. The system just simply means you're reading your Bible every day. Some people are morning people. Other people are night people. But the important thing is, am I drawing closer to God? And the way to draw closer to Him is to understand Him better. All of us have our own salvation testimony and Before I was saved, I can say I loved God. But I loved Him how I understood Him through the religion that I was raised in. Before I was saved, I knew God loved me. I knew that. But I understood it within the parameters of the religion that I had been raised in. Before I was saved, I knew that Jesus Christ was born of a virgin. I believe that. I believe that he died on Calvary for man's sin. And I believe with all my heart on the third day he rose again. But I still understood it all through the understanding of the religion that I was brought up in. Then I joined the Navy. And I got stationed in Spain. And God put me right next to a soul winner that gave me a track and gave me a track and gave me a track. 
Invited me to church. My wife and I went to church. First time I'd ever been in a Bible preaching church in my life. But the, the printed tracts had, had had their effect. We went to church that Sunday and I heard the gospel preached for the first time, but I did not respond. But I couldn't wait to get back to second Sunday. And the gospel was preached with clarity, with power. I was sitting back, I don't know, about seven or eight rows, a little missionary church in Rota, Spain, there for the U.S. military. I'll never forget, I got up and I came forward. The gentleman that had been giving me a track over and over was sitting right here. And as I walked by, I said to him, I need this. I came forward and trusted Jesus Christ as my Savior. I sat down in the front row. I'd never, this is only the second time I'd ever been in a Bible preaching church. And, and I don't, I didn't know what happened, but what I know is I sat down, I bowed my head and I said, Lord, I don't know what just happened to me, but Lord, my wife needs this. And I looked up and she was kneeling right in front of me. And that day she and I both trusted Jesus Christ as our Savior. And I took 24 years of head knowledge and it got moved right into my heart. And then from my heart, through the indwelling Holy Spirit of God, it came back up into my knowledge. And now all the things that I had learned through my catechism, through my vacation Bible schools in our church, all of that suddenly became crystal clear. Now when I read the Bible, it was interpreted by God's Holy Spirit and it was making sense and making sense. And for 35 years I had that joy. And then one day I walked out of an airport terminal Walked over and rented a car, never been there before in my life. Got in the car, I pulled out, and there was two signs. One sign said Jerusalem, and the other sign said Tel Aviv. And I got, I got goosebumps just, can you imagine walking out of a terminal, getting in a car, and you've got to decide, do I want to go to Jerusalem or Galilee? Galilee or Tel Aviv? And so the first time I went to Israel, the Word of God took on another new dimension. I, I put in my notes 3D. Because before, okay, I had a head knowledge. Then I got born again and I had the indwelling Holy Spirit. And he, he helps me to understand. He shows me what the Word of God says and He gives it a personal application. But, but I, I'm telling you, when, when I went to Jerusalem... You go to the Mount of Olives, and you're standing there, and you're sitting there, and you're literally praying, overlooking all of Jerusalem, exactly in the basic area where Jesus Christ did the same thing. Every time I read the Bible, it's like in 3D color now. It makes such a difference. We would go to Golgotha. And I have sat at the bottom of Golgotha, I have sat at the side of Golgotha, and I have done what I don't recommend. I have stood on the top of Golgotha, which is illegal and can get you in a lot of trouble in Israel. (laughs) But I, I went there with a pastor friend, and he had taken a picture of him and his son 40 years prior, standing on that knoll of Golgotha. And he says, I'm going there. And I said, I said, brother, it's illegal. 
And it's, it's a Muslim cemetery now with walls and fences. He said, you're either going with me or I'm going without you, but we're going. So we went up there and, and sure enough, we got in and we got out. And we didn't get in trouble. But to be where Jesus Christ walked, where he lived, where he ministered, to go out on a, on a boat on the Sea of Galilee and hear the word of God spoken and some of the type of music we sang today, that wonderful Jewish rhythm that just makes your feet want to start doing something. And you're out on these boats and you're, you're hearing scripture and, and the owner of the boat, when they get ready to read the Bible, they turn the engine off. So you're just sitting in the middle of the Sea of Galilee and the word of God is being read and it's always pertaining to something that Christ did there in that region, which he was so busy in. To, to walk into a, a creek bed and reach down and pick up a stone. And it's the same creek bed that the shepherd boy David picked up his stones for his slingshot. What I've learned from this is that our, our life needs to be a quest to understand the Word of God. It's, it's the living Word, and it needs to be living in us. And so, you know, I, my, my church gave me a trip to Israel 40 years ago, 35 years ago. And before I was able to go, I surrendered to the mission field and I had to leave that trip behind. And I thought, I'll, I'll never get there now. And now God has blessed me over and over. And we just got back on the, I think, the 1st of June um, from another two weeks there. That was my seventh time. And, and I can't wait to go again and again. It just brings the Word of God alive. And so salvation takes that first step and it it helps us to understand through God's Holy Spirit, what is this book saying? But it's something entirely else. When you read the Word of God and you, in your mind's eye, you're looking over Jerusalem. Pastor Johnson may have mentioned over the years, uh, Pastor Charles Whitfield, and he was a gentleman that took me there the first time, and I went there several times with him. And in the later years, he was uh, had a, a serious dementia problem. But he would always sit next to my wife and I after we retired. I went to his church, and he was retired and would always sit there. And he'd come in, and he'd say, Jerry, I was in Jerusalem this morning in my mind. It, it, it brings the Word of God alive. And, and folks... We need the Word of God brought alive over and over. That, that's all anyone in this pulpit ever tries to do. They try to take their, their week or weeks of study and preparation. We try to fill our cup until it's overflowing. And then we try to give you what we got out of it in hopes that it will mean something to you. Because this is a living book that tries to change your life. But we need to want our life changed. We need to want our life improved. And sometimes we get to a place in our Christian life that we we tend to just say, well, I'm not all I should be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. I've learned to hate that phrase. No, we aren't what we used to be. But why aren't we what we ought to be? 
Have we just become complacent in our walk and complacent in our learning? Complacent with the fact, well, I go to church, I, I, I enjoy the music, I like the pastor, I, I was a good sermon pastor. You get in your car and you're the same person. And this is exactly what God does not want of us. He doesn't want us to leave the same as we came. And every one of us have a different need. So this morning, I want to take just one small verse. And I I roomed with um, my current pastor, Pastor uh, Craig Hurley. He's my pastor now. And I roomed with his son uh, this last two weeks in Israel. And he's a pastor over in North Carolina. So we got ourselves into a lot of trouble. We had a good time. But, you know, he, he said something, and maybe this is, I don't, I don't get out much, so maybe this is a common phrase, but he said, he, he was, I felt so good, you know, he was studying the whole two weeks, and I kept saying, I'm retired, brother, I'm retired, I'm just enjoying the trip, he's working and working, but he said, well, I'm looking forward to Sunday, because I want to unwrap this verse. And I thought, boy, what a, what a great term. And so that's what I want to do this morning, I want to unwrap one simple verse that I hope can change your life, that I hope all parts of it make sense, but it it makes you somebody different than you were when you first came in. It's Psalm 138, in just verse 2, written by David, a man after God's own heart, a man that you and I can learn from. And he says in Psalm 138, verse 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name For thy loving kindness and for thy truth. For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Look at the first phrase. I will worship toward thy holy temple. You have a beautiful church building here. The pastor walked me through the old part, the newer part, the newest part, and it is a wonderful place. And it's a place that you ought to be excited to bring a visitor to. I have tried, I haven't successfully done it yet, I have tried to figure out how many verses in the Bible deal with the building of the tabernacle, the building of the temple, the destruction of the temple, the rebuilding of the temple, the prophetic destruction of the temple, and the worship that goes on inside. And then in the New Testament, the importance of the local New Testament church, the politics within the local New Testament church, and it's hundreds, and I say thousands of verses that deal with all of this. So we understand that a place to worship is very high on God's priority list. And yet when we come to the New Testament in Acts 7 and 48, it says, How be it, the Most High dwelleth not in temples made with hands. So all that, all that tells me is this. This building is not so God has a place to hang out. This building is something you and I need. Come out from among them and be separate, saith the Lord. 
Forsake not the assembly of yourselves together, as the manner of some is. I mean, the church attendance is on a downswing. But the Word of God says that doesn't mean you don't make church important. Much effort, much time, much prayer goes into building a a location like this. That the community would be interested in coming into. That you would look forward to coming to. But God says, I do all this for you. If you miss church, you're missing something. I I often wonder when someone says, I I go to church a couple times a month, maybe three what if, that, what if that Sunday morning that you missed was a Sunday morning God wanted to do something big in your life? So David says, I, I always praise, I always worship toward the Holy Temple. Don't get me wrong, I, I, I praise God in my home, I worship God in my home, I read my Bible in my home, but his emphasis is always this joint meeting that we have. Don't ever minimize that. Don't ever think that you've come to a place where I don't need that anymore. When I retired from full-time pastoring, my biggest question was, where am I going to go? I felt it was fair to the pastor that was taking the church that I had pastored for the last 15 years. I thought it was fair for me to get out of his way. But then the most important thing in my life then was, well, where do I go to worship? And, and so I went to a church I was familiar with, and, and we loved that church. And we, we looked forward to being in that church. And you know, the pastor said, hey, would you like to go out to lunch after service this morning? I said, well, I'd, I'd love to, but I want to get back home so I can be in my home church for our evening service. I can pastor for 40 years, but I need church today. And friends, you need church today. But it isn't just being in church. It is hearing the Word of God and and letting the Word of God do something for us. Look at Psalm 138, verse 2 again. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness. Bible scholars out there, we love him because what? He first loved us. What a wonderful verse for children to learn. What a wonderful verse for you and I to remember. We worship him. We praise him because of his loving kindness toward us. We love him because he first loved us. When I got saved as a young sailor at 24 years of age, and as I started thinking back over those 24 years of being lost, but religious, and God didn't strike me dead, we love him because he first loved us. We praise him because of his loving kindness. Folks, this world, it just takes from you. It takes and takes and takes. Never stops taking. We, we don't have a TV in our home. We have Wi-Fi and we stream things. And, you know, there's certain things that we will watch and most things that we won't. Then you come to a motel room and you say, well, I'm going to watch a ball game. Uh, and, and, you know, you get two minutes of ball game and six minutes of advertising. And the advertising's all, we're going to help you. Let us help you. Then you look up the price for that help. And you realize, they don't want to help me. They want me to send them $1,000. But 
But that's what the world does. That's why we get so frustrated with people. Because people always fail us. They always let us down. And yet we, we love him. We praise him because of his loving kindness. He never fails us. We sometimes don't understand what's going on. But he loves us. I had a lady ask me a couple days ago, uh, I saw her and I said something to her. She said, well, pray, pray the, the Lord won't let it rain because we're going tubing on the Asaba River. And I just smiled and nod. I've learned to do that. Just smile and nod. I'm not praying that it doesn't rain so you can go tubing. There are thousands of farmers begging God to send the rain. The crops aren't growing. Well, they're growing beautifully around here, but it's been pretty dry up there. And so it rains on your tubing outing, and you think, why would God do that? It's because we don't understand God. He does what is right all of the time. A wonderful verse, Psalm 36, 5 and 6. Thy mercy, O Lord, is in the heavens, and thy faithfulness reacheth unto the clouds. Thy righteousness is like the great mountains. Thy judgments are a great deep. O Lord, thou preservest man and beast. We, we praise him towards the temple. We worship him toward the temple. We praise him because of his loving kindness. 138 and verse 2. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. One of the things that kind of turned my spiritual world upside down one time was just reading through the Bible and seeing where Pilate asked the question, what is truth? And then you think, who did he ask that of? Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And yet Pilate is standing there. He knows Jesus is innocent. He knows he is true. But he still asks this question, what is truth? Folks, we praise him because he is truth. Every word that he says is true. You can't say that of any other book that's ever been written. We, we don't wait for the next new book to come out on the New York best-selling list on how to have a better marriage. We have that book. But we don't use it. His word is true. His word is truth. Every time we obey it, we, we find that we are one step closer to him. This book is my guide. It is a friend by my side. It will brighten and lighten my way. And each promise I find soothes and gladdens my mind as I teach it and preach it each day. And as I read it and apply it each day. Folks, we, we live in a time when it's hard to tell a Christian marriage from a non-Christian marriage. I often say when I'm away for a while and on a trip, I, I tell people I can't wait to get back and kiss my wife and tell her how happy I am I'm married to her. Because our happy place 
is when we are home together. Our happy place is in our marriage, not outside of our marriage. Even yesterday, it was kind of in the morning, I could tell you know, we were both a little bit quiet because I'm going to be away from her for like almost 30 hours. After 52 years, right? I called her first thing this morning, called her last night. If you don't have that marriage, this is the book. Do what it tells you to do as a husband. Do what it tells you to do as a wife. If you don't have the children you thought you were going to have, do what this book teaches you to do as a father. Be the mother that this book teaches you to do. We praise him because he's truth. And yet we say, well, you know, that's not how we, we don't do it that way in 2023. No, that's obvious because our country is falling apart. They haven't done it that way since about 1950 unless they are guided by the word of God. Get caught up in psychoanalysis, get caught up in science so-called. And yet Christian families have watched their kids go far from God. Far from them. Because we always think we, we have another way. I've often thought I'd like to go to the dollar store and buy eight or ten of their dollar, now they're a dollar twenty-five, I should have bought them before, but get eight or ten of the, of their Bibles and print book covers. And on the, and this, always have them on the altar and on the spine, say, for the, for a better marriage, uh, for better children, for stronger finances. To be a better worker, to be a better neighbor, to be a better person, to have better health. And every time you open it, it would be the book. Because this is truth. But we keep looking for something, I don't know, easier or newer or different. But we don't need anything newer or different. This book will change our life. If we follow this in our finances, which fortunately my wife and I, you know, we got saved when we were 24. And, and I think pretty much to the best of our ability, we've tried to follow the book in all areas. Now, none of us are perfect. Please just call my wife. She'll tell you that. We're not perfect. But one thing I learned later at the very end of my ministry People hide behind that phrase. Well, no one's perfect. Well, everybody sins. Okay, but here, here's my challenge. Yes, we all sin. But what I do know, and I can't, I can't give you the explanation. It's, it's God. We're all sinners, and we all sin. But what I do know is I don't have to commit that sin right now. I don't have to do that. Our problem is, well, we're all sinners, we all do it, and, you know, I've already given up all this, and this is all i got left, and we come up with all these excuses when what we ought to be trying to do is be more Christ-like. Yes, I know I may sin, but I'm not going to sin this sin. I'm not going to do this today. I'm not going to say this today. Well, we, we are on the winning side. We, we can have victory in our life. Verse 2 again. I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth. And then he says this, For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. 
I know each translation may have it just a little bit different, but it still comes down to the same truth. Here is, here is the eternal God, the creator God. Here is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And he says, this is how you can know me. When I say this, this is what happens. It doesn't change. Folks, God puts this word above his name. Now, this, this is how I, I find this. Before I was saved, I knew God. I knew, I knew of the omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence. I knew all. Man, I passed my catechism with flying colors. I knew it all. But still the God that I knew operated like this. These are my sins and these are my good works. If I can just do enough good works, then maybe I'll get to heaven. Now, that wasn't even the teaching of the catechism, but it's still the way it came across. This is the God that I knew. My problem was I could sin, 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 sin. Then I could help somebody... I could pull over and help someone fix a flat tire on the road. Woo! I'm on my way to heaven. I helped somebody. I did a good deed. That's the God I knew. So I had God in a box. It was my box. And then I got saved. But we still have to let him out of the box that we had him in. And the only way to do that is to put this book above what you think God is supposed to be. If you do that, and I I say this with fear and trembling, when the doctor says it's cancer, you don't look up and say, why me, God? You've got them back in the box again. You say, Lord, what do you want me to do through this? How are you going to work through this? How can you use me through this? Help me. We don't, we don't ask. I mean, we do ask God. Let's be honest. We do ask to avoid all the storms. But once we're in the storm, then we say, Lord, help me through the storm. We, we, have, we have to put his word above all of our own thoughts, all of our own desires, because God has put his word above His own name. And so the practical application of this is when the Word of God teaches us something, don't fall back to, well, this is just how I am. Well, this is who I am. Well, this is just how I've always been. I mean, most of us, you know, since salvation, we've, we've, honestly, we've, We've changed so much. Somebody that knew us 40 years ago, they say, who are you? you know, I was raised up in the 60s. I was a long-haired hippie. And, and I, came, I came back from, uh, from being saved over in Spain. My dad one day said to me, how do you send a Lutheran to a Catholic country and they come back a Baptist? <laughs> it just made no sense. Although he already knew exactly because I know he was raised in just that type of a home. He just didn't raise me in that type of a home. 
But folks, the Word of God has got to get a hold of us. And so, the one practical challenge for today, if God can put His name above, if He can put His Word above His name, then can't we put His Word above our name? Can't we put His Word above how I was raised? I mean, you can't be 60 years old and still mad at your mom and dad. It's their fault. No, it is not their fault. Maybe they should have given you a better foundation. But friends, if you've been saved 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, or 50 years, you have the power of change. Just got to stop hiding behind who you are, how you were raised, what you think. And so, the psalmist says in 119, 165, Great peace have they which love thy law. Who does not want peace in this mess of a world we live in today? Great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall, what? Offend them. Nothing shall offend. So, if, if I, this, this law that's been placed above God's name, God says, if I love this law, I'll have peace. It'll be a peace that passes all understanding. It'll be a peace that when somebody does something to me, I will not be offended. Have you ever had anyone say, I hope this doesn't offend you? Just say, nothing offends me. I serve the living God. But our problem is, is we love us very much. I mean, you pull out, and the lanes are merging, and the guy flies around you and pulls in, and you are hot. Because you're more important than him. Now our excuse is, oh, he thinks he's more important than me. But no, we're offended, because that was our spot, and you took it. And yet the Bible says, great peace have they which love thy law, and nothing shall offend them. Now bring it into your living room. Your wife, your husband, your child, your parent. How often do you show anger in the home that you would never show in public? How often do you speak in an awful tone to your spouse in private? That you would never speak that way in public. See, we cannot be two people. We are saved. We are serving the living God. We are reading his living book. He has placed this book above his name. And he says to you and I, just read it and love it and do it. And it doesn't matter if you've been married 30 years or 50 years or 60 years. You can have a better marriage. You can have a better relationship with your children. You can be a better child to your parents, even if your parents are 80 years old. Because you do it for God. You love His book. Folks, if you're here today and you have never trusted Christ as your Savior, you really have no idea what I'm talking about. Because the only thing you could understand this morning is that you are lost And in need of a Savior. And you can do what I did back in 1974. And with a simple childlike faith. Step forward and trust Christ as your Savior. 
He will give you his Holy Spirit and the reading of his word will just become technicolor. But then the rest of our life is us doing everything we can to make this book change our life. Allow God to to speak to you, to guide you, to change your course. You don't have to be who you were yesterday. You can be somebody entirely new today. But you've got to love his word to do that. You have to put his word above who you are so that he can genuinely change your life. Pastor.